Welcome to the fourth episode of the Share Your Stories series. This is a podcast-like experience where we get to explore humanity one heart at a time. I am your host, Jenny Diltz, and I'm the founder of Grieving Coach. Um, before we begin, I wanted to share a little bit about the story behind these series. I've been connecting with some amazing people lately, and I've been meeting with them, um, and I've been learning so much from them. And I wanted to give back to the reimagined community as a collaborator and also be able to share what I've been learning about these amazing people. And so then I had a lightning bolt idea of I could make a podcast. And so this Share Your Stories series was born. So in the United States, we're celebrating Black History Month. And that's a special time for us to honor the amazing people of color and their contributions to our world. So joining us today is Selena Cheshire, author of My Pain, My Teacher, and Free Your Body, Free Your Mind. She knows she loves writing about real life stories and her first book, My Pain, My Teacher, is about defying the odds and surviving stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2014. It talks about how relationships matter during this, during this time of pain and confusion. And her second novel is all about freeing your body so as to free your mind, detoxification and meditation as central to the healing power. As a wellness coach, she knows what she's talking about. Selena was born in Zimbabwe and later moved to the UK in 2002. So Selena, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about yourself? Oh, I mean, I was born almost 56 years ago and mm. in a family of nine, it's three girls and six boys. And this, you know, the funny part of it is I'm in the center. I'm the 50 child. I'm the middle again on the girl side. So it's like I'm in the you know at that point I always think okay I get information from people who are ahead of me and those at the bottom mm -hmm. so sometimes they don't they don't talk to each other so but I know because I'm in there I always want to know what's happening to everybody around me so like that's how I, I rock that's how I live so I, yeah. I really learned to just love each and everybody around me with that kind of love. And my mom passed on when I was only 15 years old, 14, 15 years old, when I had just started secondary school. And, you know, it was like heartbreaking because I was only beginning to understand what a mother stands for. Because from grade one to seven, I was living with my dad. You know, he was teaching away from home. So I used to go around, you know, looking, helping him, washing his clothes, cooking for him. So I learned to do that when I was at the age of six, seven, I could start, you know, doing that. So that's, you know, like the center part of a, a girl child in my country. A girl starts working or she, learned, she learns how to cook, how to clean at an early age. That mm. is a traditional child. So it was no surprise for me to say, okay, I could do all that. And he, my dad taught me how to wash men's clothes. 
you know, I said, okay, start with the cola. And I was a tiny little girl, but I was, I'm, I'm quite short. So cola, pocket, then the hands, the calves, and then the body. So it's like, I could just do that even in my sleep. I can, I know how to wash a man's shirt. So um, yeah, and it, it's just like in our culture, we respect our parents. Even if they say anything, we're taught just to listen and don't answer back. And so it's like, okay, when my dad was, you know, on our days when we were home, me and him, he would come home a bit late, maybe from his beer, drinking with other guys, and he would come and stand with you around the kitchen. You'd, I mean, my father was a teacher. My mother was a teacher as well. But when she started having, when she had about three, four kids, she couldn't teach and look after the kids. So she had to give up her job and start a family. So um, he would come, my dad would come in the house and, you know, in the kitchen and stand there without you know, moving his hand or a finger, we would rush around, run around to get him a chair and for him just to sit without touching it. So it was that, that was the rule of the house. You know, daddy comes, everybody must run around. If you don't, he's going to kick you up. What are you doing? So it was like, fine. When he, when, when, whenever he would come walk in the kitchen, most of us would start disappearing. Oh, I'm going to sleep or going to sleep because they didn't want any drama. So that's how, yeah. My mom passed on when I was nine, when I was okay, 15. And my dad married a year after my mom passed on. But she, because I was with my mom before she died, she told me to look after her young children. So we, we, we used to clash every time with my stepmother. Because I was in a boarding school, but every time I would come home during the holidays, I would be told she wasn't looking after my, my siblings. So we would always fight. You know, I'm not fight physically, but verbally. Mm -hmm. So in the end, she ended up going. So my grandmother, my dad's mom, she was like, she played a pivotal part in my, in my life. She molded me up. And you know, she's the person who taught me how to pray because she never wanted to have a raw, you know, like a bad word for anybody. You know, she would, even if you, somebody, even if she knows the person hurt her, you know, like my stepmother, the second one, because my dad had to remarry again. Mm -hmm. You know, once he hit her and I was teaching away from home. When I came back home, she didn't want people to tell me, but people had told me already. So she said to me, please, please don't ask her. Your dad needs somebody to look after. So please don't, don't even ask her. And I said, grandmom, I'm going to hit her. And she says, no, no, don't do that. And I said, how can she hit you? You are just like oh, my mom. How can she be so rude? But no, she just said, please don't do that. And so of course we didn't do it. But she was an amazing woman. Yeah. She, all she knew was just prayer. No, 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 no bad word for anybody. So prayer. And so I, you know, I, I think we both agree with me that even when you, I mean, I think most of us here, we are quite in our, you know, not very young, but middle age, I think so. You know, when, when you grow, I was growing up, I mean, like in my culture, it was like a girl, you know, if she goes to school, you know, she said that she become a teacher or a nurse or something, 
or an office girl. Then the next thing is to be married. Mm-hmm. So that was what happened. Okay, I started working at 18, but then it was like the next thing for me was marriage. So I met somebody and we got married. I stayed with him. I mean, that was when I was 21, 22, I had a kid. 20, 24, I had another one. Then after seven, after seven years of my marriage, it was a divorce. And so imagine I had, I grew up with my dad. Who, I mean, when I was staying with him, he would cheat on my mom. You know, it's like he would, you know, like bring some other women and I would be sleeping in the other room, hear him, you know, like bringing stealthily this woman. So I could tell that there was somebody else. So it, in me, I grew up not trusting men. Mm-hmm. I would always think men, they can always cheat. So when I got married, the first thing is like the first time my boyfriend, I suspected he was going with somebody else. I just said, no, not me. You are done. And I tried to apologize, tried to do something. I said, no, no, no. Because I grew up thinking my mom is so stupid. How could she allow my dad to you know, trump over her, cheat her like that? But I never told her. Right. But for me, it's like I learned those protective defensive mechanism of saying, I'm not going to allow any man to cheat on me. So I said, no. Then I met this guy. Yes, I loved him. He became the father of my children. But still, he was cheating on me. I, I, I don't know why I didn't, I didn't, you know, like check him off before I got kids. Uh, I, I thought, okay, he's the right person for me. I want to have a house. You know, he was a good guy. He was an accountant. So it, I was going to have a good life. But the unfortunate part of it, he didn't want me to go to work. So I stopped working and, you know, started living. So that's when, at least that's when my marriage was messed up. Because being at home, somebody comes and he doesn't value, you know, that he, when you're at home, you work. Mm-hmm. He thinks, okay, he's the only person who goes to work. And so what? He is the one who is supposed to be dressed properly, nicely. Me and the kids, whatever, we, we dress up, it doesn't matter. So it's like, okay, I started, you know, doing an entrepreneurship, having my own shop, selling vegetables, buying fresh fish and selling, which, you know, he didn't like. But anyway, I did it because I, I had, my father had a shop. So I used to sell in my father's shop during the holidays. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, I loved being an entrepreneur, but he didn't understand that. So I think, I thought my father was saying, you, you, he ended up saying, Selena, you better have a secure job. Why not do teaching? You know, why not do go to a teacher's college and do some training? So I said, we went to one college together and they said, oh, we'll send you the forms, application forms. They did send them. But my husband kept them in his office because the letters used to come to his office first. So he kept them in his office. He told his mom that he, the mom says, oh, don't give her. So they didn't give me. Anyway, it doesn't matter. To cut a long story short, I think after seven, marriage, seven years of marriage of miserable, I just said, no, I can't do it. I, I thought I would just give up. I went to my, 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 my parents' house first for three months, then he came after me and said, oh, sorry, I made the mistake, blah, blah, blah. And, but then I went back and I found worse things than, you know, like he he was now bringing women in my bedroom, you know, like, 
and there was proof of it. He was taking photos of his girls around, them barbecuing. And so one of his, his nephews showed me the, the camera and he says, auntie, please don't tell I, I told you that. Mm -hmm. Just get those, go and have them cleaned and you see. So I went on my own into town, have them cleaned. And I found that he was, he had a girlfriend who was coming to my house, staying when I wasn't there. So I just said, what are these when he came from work? And he says, oh, that's what you are doing. He started shouting at me. And I just thought, okay. But it was like, now I had my first daughter was going to a you know, boarding school. She was a weekly boarder. So every Friday she would come home, then Monday morning she would go to school. So it's like every now, it's like he started beating me when I asked why he was doing things. He started beating me. So, and he would beat me in front of the kids. So my, my daughter would go to school on a Monday, come back Friday. One day I heard him saying to my, to my, to my little boy, did dad hit mom this week? And that broke my heart. Mm -hmm. Then my son, because I, I, I started, you know, like, you know, having him in my bed, on my bed in the night. He would wake up in the night dreaming, ah, dad, don't hit mom, don't hit mom. And that for me was a trigger. I just yeah. thought, no, I can't survive this life. And I mean, I, I started, you know, like, I, I didn't know there was anything called depression or stress. Uh -huh. So to me, it was just like, okay, I, I was forgetful. Now I was becoming food because I would sleep. When you when he's going to work, I would go back into my bedroom, sleep, then I'll be hungry around 10, go in the kitchen, stand there around, then I forgot why I was in the kitchen. And I would go back to sleep. And after an two an hour or two, I think, no, that time I was hungry. And I'd go back in the kitchen and say to my I used to have a, a gardener and my and a, and a helper in the house. So I would say, Oh, that time remember when I came, I was hungry. So that's disturbed me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, if I continue like this, I will die young. Yeah. Like my mom died when she was, I think, about 45, 48. And I thought, if I don't do that, I will die young and leave my children. And I was only 27. Wow. 28. So I thought, okay. When I got 29, I thought, no, this is it. He went to work in the morning, left me at home. I phoned him. I said, I know when he was going, I said, I think we need to go to court. And in my culture, we don't divorce. You know, I wasn't going to go and tell my father that I have, div I have divorced. I've run away from my husband. He mm -hmm. was supposed to divorce me. So I said, no, in my culture, you, I don't divorce you. You can divorce me. So can we go to court and you divorce me? Then he says, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm sure. I think I'm done. Yeah. So I, I think every woman understands that because loving somebody is not easy. Right. And so when, when you are in it, because you are a woman, you get really in it, you know, like really hook your inside. So I was really in love with him, whether he was abusing me that much, but I still loved him. So when I said, I'm done, he thought I was kidding. And I said, no, I think I, I, I don't want it anymore. Right. So he says, okay, get ready. When you are ready, ring me, then we can go to court. So I rang him after I had finished breakfast. I had bathed in. 
I was dressed nicely like somebody who is going to divorce. When I was when I got married, I was nicely dressed up. So mm-hmm. I got dressed up. I called him and said, okay, come and we go. So we went to the magistrate's court. And then he says, oh, I want to register for my divorce. Then the guy, the clerk of court says, oh, okay. You wrote that and says, okay, where do we send this uh, someone? And I said, oh, don't worry. Can you give it to me, sir? Then he was so surprised that, you know, people who are divorcing are coming in together. Then he says, what? I said, yeah, this is irretrievable. You know, we can't retrieve it. It just doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So when we came out, I said, oh, can you take me to my brother? Because I knew we had cars, but I knew he wasn't going to give me a car. So I said, Mm -hmm. okay, can you please give me a lift? And I go to my brother's. So I went to my brother's and stayed with my brother for some time. And that was, you know, yeah, it's a long story, trying to make ends meet. I was, I had done cutting and designing, but he he didn't want me to work away from home. So at least I had my skills as a seamstress, as a designer. So I, I, the only thing I took from him was my sewing machine and my clothes. So with that, I thought, okay, I had a cousin who used to work for the Ministry of Finance in my country. So there were some people, you know, like some NGOs who were offering loans to small, small businesses that, or people starting businesses. So I, you know, she managed to, to source some clothes and some machine for me, or another machine. So I'm, that's what was my starting point. I started and opened my own shop and worked and I, I actually employed maybe three or so people for some time but you know people are people they used to want me you know like we saw things for them they wouldn't want to pay so it's like when you go and then you take things on credit and then you don't want to pay back right. so I ended up thinking it's pointless I need to go and do something else so I went to do you know, like teaching. I went to a secondary school teacher's college and I, was, I had a friend who was a, a lecturer there. So she helped me, she, we agreed. I mean, she thought, okay, the best course for me to do was home economics. Mm-hmm. So which, which included sewing, cooking and um, home management. So I did that because I had the background of uh, cutting and designing sewing was very easy for me and yeah. because I, I just loved cooking as well so I did that course and that helped me it was like a stepping stone I, I, I was okay now to look after myself and my kids but then it wasn't enough things were beginning to go bad in my country as well so it's like okay after teaching I think for two years after finishing my training because remember, I went to, to train as a teacher when I was already in my 30s. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I wasn't, I wasn't a chick. I was yeah. <laughs> so I did that. And yeah, I taught my, I think for two years, one year at one school. Then I, the second year, I went to another school. And then I was given a all-level class. And the teacher who was there before, you know, she used to just tell the kids, the kids to write notes as they were in the textbook, in their notebooks. So mm-hmm. I, I, and I was given a, an exam class. And I went there in March 
and the exams were being written, I think in August to September. So I had to really think fast and work hard. So I would work even weekends because it was a boarding school as well. So I would work weekends with my students. I would work evenings until they, was, they were doing some garments. So we managed to do some garments, finish them, then theory would practice, practice, practice. And that was the only, the first year that class or that subject was passed in that class. And the headmaster, you know, paid me because he had two of his children in the, in the, in the class doing the subject I was teaching. Mm-hmm. They said, oh, I'm going to start an A-level class for you, Miss Ngodi. And then I thought, ah, okay. But I thought about, you know, the, the way things were, were going, they were going bad. And I thought I couldn't see myself giving my children what I really wanted. I, I, I grew up in a family of nine, remember? Mm-hmm. So we were happy, but did we have enough? I don't think so. Yeah. So it's like I wanted, I only wanted, at first I wanted to have one kid, but thank God I got a girl. I wanted a boy. So I thought, okay, I will have two, then I'll have a boy. And my God was good. He gave me a boy the second time around. So I just said, no more. So it was like, okay, after that, I thought, I don't want any kids. I'll look after these. And my husband wanted more, and I said, no. So after all, I thought, if I had had three, four, five kids with him, and he was going to divorce me, what was I going to do with, you know, a big number of children? But mm-hmm. anyway, I managed to survive. And after two years, I thought, I don't, I want to change my direction. So I thought of going to Botswana. My auntie was living in Botswana. That was my neighboring country. So I went there. She had shops, you know, like she, she was sewing uniforms for local schools. So I thought if I go there, I would work and maybe then see what, what happens after that. So I went there, but my intention was to get to work for my some money to, to buy my tickets, either to go to America or to come over here. Mm-hmm. And because I, di- I didn't need a visa, so I thought I would go, I would be fine. So I, I tried, I worked the whole year. You know, it's like nothing came. I, I couldn't raise enough money for my ticket. So I thought, okay, no, it was not, it was about six, seven months. Then I thought, I, I don't think I'm going to make it. So I went back home to Zim. And then I thought, okay, people, I asked people around to help me to buy the tickets. Some people were saying, oh, we'll give you some. They said, no. So, but anyway, I ended up going against my ex-husband and say, can you help me? I want to do this for the betterment of my children. Yeah. So he, he helped me and, you know, I managed to come. So that's how I came to England. And I mean, when I came, I didn't know anybody. It was like, it was a terrible experience because I had my small little suitcase and the biggest thing in the suitcase was my Bible. But when I go to the airport, you know, it's like, I thought the people, I mean, I used an agent. So they had said, oh, they wait for me at the airport, which there was nobody. Phone them, they said, oh, come to Manchester. Where is Manchester? It was costing me, I think about 70, 80 pounds just to go to Manchester. And in my purse, I had 95 pounds between me and poverty. So imagine buying a ticket for 80 pounds when I'm left with 15 pounds. But anyway, I did that. Just thought, okay, whatever. So I went there and we were were 
sitting with this other guy, we came we came together, but I didn't know him personally. We just met and we, when we were talking, he was also invited by the same company agent. So we were sitting talking at the train station, waiting for these guys thinking they're coming. So one girl or small girl, she was 18 or 19, she heard us talking in my language. And she says, oh, where are you going guys? Are you waiting for somebody? So we told her. Says, I don't think those people are coming or if they come, you are going to work for them. So if you know anybody in the country, just ring them and then it's better for you to go and suffer with your relatives than to go in the hands of these people. They will lie to you that they're going to help you get a job, then they help you get a house, but you'll be paying for everything yourself. So don't do that. So I had, my brother had just forced me to, to write because he had his daughter, first daughter who was here studying. So I'd re written her phone number in my Bible, but I couldn't remember where. So I had to mm -hmm. search the whole Bible looking for the number until I got it. So I, I phoned her. She says, oh, no, I'm in Manchester. I'm not in, in Leeds. I was in Leeds then. So I thought, oh, gosh, how am I going to come there? But it was getting late in the night. Mm -hmm. So we managed to get in the train. I think it was about five, six pounds to go to Manchester. We got there. So I stayed with them. I think I stayed for two weeks thinking now, what was I going to do? I didn't have a clue. So then I think my brother had some, you see his sister-in-law lived in London or somewhere in Kent. They ended up ringing me and say, can you just please leave that place? Because those are students. You can't stay there. I said, so where do I go? Yeah. Said, that's, not, that's not our problem. You can go wherever you want. We don't care, but just leave. And you know, it's like, fortunately, I had a friend back home and I rang it. She just, she had your friends in London. So they directed me. They told me to go and be with somebody who helped me. Mm -hmm. And by God's grace, I ended up in Birmingham. So, and there was a church, I mean, my caseworker, oh, I, went, I had to look for a lawyer. So my caseworker said, oh, this is how you can do it. You know, you can look for as, asylum. Look, for, go do this, do this. So that's what yeah. I ended up doing. So I ended up being an asylum seeker and stayed, I think 2002 and three, a friend of mine I'd met from church she asked me how my kids were, were surviving without me. So I said, I don't have any papers, so I can't invite them. So she says, oh, what's needed? I can invite them. So she, I she said, oh, just ask your ex-husband for him to go and check, then you can get the passports for the kids. In 2003, my kids joined me for Christmas. Oh. I, I just, it was just lovely. And that was the turning point of my life. And because, you know, when, when you are like in my country, people who come from outside the country, they look very rich. Mm -hmm. You think their houses are big because in my country, the rich people live in bigger houses, houses with swimming pool. I used to have a, like a house, a four bedroomed house with two lounges and a very big kitchen. And I thought, okay, everybody in London, in England is like that. They come from, when I came here and they see the small houses and whatever, I got confused. Yeah. I just thought, okay, what's this? So I used to, when people used to phone me, I used to say, you don't want to know. 
feel like yeah, it's horrible. The houses are so small. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it was good. It was a turning point for me. I just, I just thought, you know, God is good. And then I think I stayed from 2000 and up to 2005. Then I trained to become a Christian science nurse. And these people, I don't know if you know anything about Christian science nursing. Not much. Not much. You know, Christian scientists, they depend on prayer only for healing. Mm-hmm. They, they don't take medication. They don't take, you know, like alternative healing. They don't take food for, you know, healing. They just depend on prayer. So I did that course for three years. And then I started working as a Christian science nurse. So my life was much better. And I got my papers after, I think 2008, that's when I was given some papers to say. And my father passed on when I was here, 2005. And before then I had lost three aunts. And so it was oh. just like, I had never seen and you know, had, but 2008, when I got my papers, I managed to go to Africa and just visited my father's grave mm-hmm. and my aunts and then came back. In 2000, and I think 2014, 13, 14, that's when I started, you know, like feeling, I wasn't feeling myself, but I didn't realize yeah. that I had any challenges. I was just going and driving up around, up and up and down the country, being a nurse. I could, you know, I was working two jobs. It was my daughter, she had just started studying a first degree in international business studies. Mm-hmm. So that was in London. And then she got, you know, like help for that student finance. Then she wanted to do a master's and she couldn't get, you know, finance. We don't get a finance for master's. Mm-hmm. So I was working. I had to work two jobs for me to manage to pay for your master's. Right. But I just thought being a, a girl, if she doesn't get her education before kids starts coming, she'll never do it. So I thought, okay, just, just have your first husband, which is your education, then the rest will follow. So I worked hard until she got that. And then 2014, that's when I got this cancer. But I didn't realize that I had cancer until my one day my kid says, mom, can you walk up the steps? And I thought, What's the choice? What's the problem? I'm okay. And this, my son says, Mom, walk up the streets. So I walked up the steps. Two steps before I got to the end, I couldn't breathe. I was finding it difficult. You know, like I was panting. Mm-hmm. So then they said, Mom, we knew if we had told you that you are sick, you were going to say no. This is what we wanted you to see. Yeah. And I said, but did you have to do that? I said, mom, we know you. You were, Because you're saying a Christian scientist, the Christian scientist, they don't go to the doctor. You would say, oh, God is going to heal me. We know that God can heal you, but you are sick. Yeah. Said, yeah. Says, no, we need to take you to the doctor. They had already, you know, like walked around, looked for the surgeries and said, we've got some forms here. You need to fill them and then we take them back. So that's what, that what happened. And my first encounter after 10 years without even going to a, a doctor, 
this guy just went and looked at me. Oh, where do you come from? I come from Zimbabwe. Then he says, oh, you've got AIDS. He never touched me when you've got AIDS. So uh, he gave me some paracetamols. Then the next thing, I two weeks later, I, I'm, I'm now in pain. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't bend. I couldn't, you know, like care for the people I was supposed to look after. Yeah. And then I went back to him. I said, you know, the painkillers are not working. I said, ah, no, it, they will work because there's nothing I can do. Anyway, you know, the disease you have, you can't heal it or blah, blah. So again, he didn't give me anything. He gave me some paracetamol. So my son had come with me th- that day. So he's, afterwards he says, mom, let's go and look for another doctor. So we went. But you know, it's just like because of where I come from. Mm-hmm. Because those days, people were just thinking people in Africa, they are all the ones with this kind of disease. So right. it's like, it happens that sometimes your color, you know, people look at you, they think, okay, you are just that. So, but anyway, the next doctor just said, we told him what had happened. Uh-huh. And he just said, oh, okay, I'll do, let's, let's take them. Let's go and have you, you have a scan so that we can talk from somewhere. So after the scan, that's when they discovered that I had cancer. And soon after, you know, it's like my daughter was there when they told me and we just said, okay, let's do some, some treatment. So I accepted to do chemotherapy. And afterwards, I think my daughter then, she gave up her job to look after me. But to be honest with you, I thought I was going to die. I didn't think I would survive. I thought everybody with cancer dies anyway. Uh-huh. So, I was, so it's like cancer, the chemicals ate me. I lost my hair, all of it. I had locks. I mean, yeah, I love locks. So I had locks which were that long up to my shoulder. Wow. They, were, they, they started falling off. And it was so painful because you find just that something a strip like that, it's hanging, it's gone. So, yeah. and then when I was in hospital, we thought, okay, a friend told us of somebody who could help me, you know, get rid of cancer through eating well. Uh-huh. So he told us what to buy and what to do. He says, okay, detoxify, you know, just eat plant-based foods, stop sugar, stop meat, stop dairy products. And that's what we did. But in hospital, you know, they always give you those things. Mm-hmm. If you, there's sugar, there are biscuits every time, you know, so, but I, my son, my daughter used to bring me food privately. So I, I would eat that. And people were dying in hospital around me. One time they gave me a room where somebody had passed on in the morning. And that time I think fear almost said you are going to die if you go in that room. But I think that was the best thing for me to do because I managed to pray and think and see and listen on my own. And my Wonderful. family could come and support me and love me and encourage me. And I mean, even the doctor always seemed, why are you always smiling? And I said, even if I cry, is it going to change any situation? It's not going to. Mm-hmm. So at least if I, my last days, if I laugh, if I smile, I think it's better. People will remember me as, okay, I was, I was happy. Mm-hmm. But then I turned around, I got well. I mean, when I got out of hospital for the first time, I, I went home because I wanted, I thought if, if people are thinking I'm dying, 
I better marry my daughter. So I encouraged my daughter to be, she had this boyfriend, she would be, she had, had you know, for five years. I thought if they get married, then my son will have a family. So uh -huh. I, I, when I die, they'll be able to look after each other. So she got married traditionally in our culture, we have traditional marriage. So I was there, mother without hair, and you know, I was still sick, but at least I, was, my, I wanted my daughter to go. So that's what happened. When I came home, I didn't have anybody to look after because she had gone, but she used to come every other weekend and mm -hmm. they would exchange with my son. But the best thing is like eating well, thinking well. I joined a group of people. I think I don't know whether you know Jean Houston. She's an American lady. She, she, has, she, she has programs online. So I joined one of your programs and it was about she you know, knowing it like, is, uh, is it alkali? Can't remember when you say somebody who is like your close place person, your best friend, mm -hmm. then she was saying mirror that best friend of yours. It's like, okay, if you are a Christian, mirror Jesus Christ and say, okay, can you heal me? Then you can feel that healing being passed over to you. So that's what helped me with a group of women. We used to do that together. We, we could, we would help hands virtually, you know, like virtually, uh -huh. you know, like making a circle together. But, you know, it was like somewhere in Canada, somewhere in America, Australia, wherever. So, but it was like every Sunday, I couldn't sit up in my bed. I, I, I would just lie. And they were there for me, supporting me, encouraging me. And my kid would read for me and you know, just to be there, to, to just encourage me. Without that, I don't think I would have survived. So one yeah. of the doctors, when I used to go back, they used to write a book, Selena, tell other people how you did that. And that's um, how your book was born. That's when my book was born. And yeah, it was... I mean, it took some time to, 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 to write the book, but anyway, I managed to write this. It was basically more of a story of how my kids, you know, this, it's almost like what I told you now. Mm -hmm. So, but that was the first one. And I went back to work, but he, because as a Christian scientist, people looked at me, started looking at me because they knew I had gone to, I had been to the doctors. Uh -huh. They looked at me in different eyes, through different eyes. Yeah, I could tell there was some sense of you know disconnection. I had had some friends I had trained with, and we had vowed to stay together, whatever the situation. Mm -hmm. But they changed. They changed the way they looked at me. They just thought. Mm. So I ended up was I I I ask, I don't keep quiet. I question. Mm -hmm. So I said to this lady, I said, Do you remember your promise? You know, you promised that, you know, we are going to be, you know, friends, whatever, for life. Yeah. Then he says, oh, things change. I said, oh, really? Did it change because I got sick? He says, oh, no. But I could tell that was the reason. Wow. So I thought I couldn't work there anymore. So I had to look for another work, you know, workplace uh -huh. where I changed and worked there and... Yeah, but when I started writing that book, that's when they said the manager who is an American girl, she saw, so I just posted on Facebook. 
that, you know, I wanted to see the reaction of people. I said, okay, my book is entitled, My Pen, My Teacher. And I'm going to, it's going to be out in maybe six months time. Then somebody reported it to the manager who, and then she, she called me and said, I, I, I saw that you are writing a book, you've posted it on Facebook. Uh-huh. And at the back of it, you've written the doctors they have helped me to get where I am. And I said, yeah, I'm not writing it. It's a testimony rather. It's not like a book which is, says no, but you can't write that the doctors helped you. You know, you're as a Christian science nurse, people, your patients, they look up to you. But if you tell them that you can go to the doctors, everybody would want to get to go to a doctor. And I said, no, it doesn't mean that. My people, not any of them are Christian scientists. I'm the only one who's a Christian scientist. Mm-hmm. So if they, they, are, they were part of my journey, they want to know if I'm going to write something, they, they know now I'm writing a book. Yeah. Says, oh, no. It says that you choose to write the book and leave being a Christian science nurse, or you go and you, 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 write, you, you write your book. So I just chose to write my book and I was fired without any penny. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> without any penny but it's made me just okay after the book I became a public speaker and uh, that also what I wanted to, t- to talk about you know like the way how I was healed but then I thought I don't have enough information about you know what I really did eat uh-huh. or what's best for people that's why I became a health coach because I wanted to go deeper into the facts of healthy, what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat. That's why yeah. I, I started, I made my own garden. Now I make it, I, I grow my own vegetables. I run every morning. I do more than five kilometers every morning. I run and walk, I mix the two. And then I cook my every meal. You know, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I sleep well. I, I just live a healthy life and that's it that's my that's my journey but it's just the journey which brought me to England I think the, the other thing is like when you come to a country because you get into their culture and eat whatever things which are not really in alignment with what you are what you grew up having uh-huh. so I think that was the one thing which affected me more so how did you get from being almost dead um, as you were struggling with cancer to running and walking every day and being the thriving person that you are today? Ah, Jenny, that was, that was a blessing. I mean, it's like, I think it's just the power of the mind. I I can't because, and my faith as well. Mm -hmm. I grew, I grew up, you know, with that kind of faith. I was brought up by a, a grandmother who was a powerful, you know, Christian woman or faith woman so it's like okay that's all I knew I knew Uh if I really you know like quieten my thoughts and just trust I would be healed and it was when I was asleep one day listening to the bible on my phone I heard you know a voice saying what are you waiting for you're already healed and that's when I was having I used to have pans you know pads Mm-hmm. When I, I was going to bed, I had a commode pan beside me. Uh-huh. So it's like I, re- I couldn't even walk. And I laughed when I heard that because I thought, God, 
you've got such a good sense of humor. Yeah. How can you say I'm already healed when I can't walk, when I pee and poo myself? That's impossible. Uh-huh. But when, you know, it's like the following day, my daughter came and I told you, I was actually laughing. I said, can you imagine? I heard a voice saying I'm already healed, but look at me. I'm dying. Then my daughter says, mom, no, you're not dying. I said, I'm dying. She says, no, we can do this together, mom. We can. And God is on our side. Don't forget that. So it's like, it was a turning point for me. I started yeah. looking. I started being positive. Yeah. And as I started not, but I was afraid. I was scared even of looking at myself in the mirror. Because all my, I mean, everything had changed. My eyes had sunk in. I, my lips were so red. And, you know, I was so dark. Yes, I'm dark, but it was like, I became so black because of the chemicals. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I started in hospital. She would bring me some, you know, some things which can remove some toxins from me so that I can run. I could drink, you know, lemon water every morning. I started having smoothies. You know, I could go for a week just having smoothies. Mm -hmm. Then I would, you know, like vegetables only just to remove the GMOs from, I mean, the food with GMOs. Mm -hmm. and that was I think that that's made me who I am now because that is my now it's like when I look at people and I think okay it's a small challenge if you really put your mind into it if you don't accept that you are less than any other person you are worthy you are strong you are Mm -hmm. powerful then you can do whatever you want to do. So, I mean, this is a country girl. I grew up in a village. I never dreamt when I was growing up that I would one day get in a plane and go to a, a, a land of no return. And yeah. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a clue. I never dreamt that I would end up here. And I mean, honestly, End up, I married, uh, I mean, this guy, he's a British guy I married now. He has never been outside of Britain. So it's like, <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I wouldn't have dreamt that anything like that would happen. Yeah. So it's just like, okay, it's just the power of mind. And once, you know, once you set your, your thoughts into doing something, it can happen. And then you don't limit yourself. But I thought I, I, I stopped limiting myself. Mm-hmm. I stopped listening to what people, because my, even my own brother, who is here, thought I was going to die. He would come to visit me in hospital, then go and ring people back home crying and say, I don't think Selena is going to be alive tomorrow. And so it's like my kids would look at him, see him cry. They would think our mom is dying. Uh-huh. They would come back to me and say, and I said, I'm not going to die. Don't worry, I'll survive. And so I'm here to tell the story. Wonderful. Such a wonderful story about the power of your mindset and believing that you can and overcoming all odds and changing your, your body and the nutrients that you give your body, the foods that you give your body. Yes. 
I always believe this is the temple. I have to keep it clean. Mm-hmm. And so it's like when I detoxify, I even have, you know, some organic ways of cleansing it. Every fortnight, I really like flush my gut. Yeah, I do that because I, I couldn't wear earrings before. But now because I, I don't have, I mean, I always cleanse myself. I can wear, you know, like earrings. I can wear some, because even my, my wedding rings, I was reacting to them. But I just thank God that it's just in the past. I'm a grandmother of two. I would have died without seeing my grandchildren. And you're so... You're so radiant and confident and beaming. (laughs) I'm beaming. I'm joyful. That's so amazing. So, so amazing. Thank you. Jenny? Yes. Uh, Carol Zoom from Portland. I wonder if Selena could mention the ways that you disciplined yourself to write your story. I know you're a very busy person and you were fighting your health. And I think a lot of people here who want to know how to tell their own story wonder how you find the time and what the discipline is, you know, for getting that down on paper. I, I used to write, you know, I, I think him, I went to this, this, it was a seminar and there was somebody who was um, sharing how to write a book. So he just said, you know, like first just write the topics. How many chapters do you want to write? That's what you want to, then you write the topics, you know, when it, whatever you want to like. Don't worry about the into the forwarding, the whatever, but just write the inside of the story. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, you think, okay, at the age of 15, what happened, whatever, just that. It's just like this, this the skeleton. Then the rest, you know, you can fill that up. But I used to say, if I write, I write because I wasn't writing for, for a certain time. It was just me when I felt like I could do it. And when I tried, remember, chemotherapy kills. It kills the brain. It kills. I couldn't talk. I couldn't think like, you know, now I can speak. I can. I, I, I couldn't. When I first finished, you know, like finished my cycles of chemotherapy, I was so brain damaged. I had to really start learning to think, oh, what do you say if you want bread? What do you say? You know, I would like, you know, like stammering because words didn't want to, couldn't come out of my, my, my mouth. So it's like, I had to be very slow and be very gentle with myself and write whatever I could. Even if I think of the last chapter, I, I, I would write it down, then go back to the first chapter because you know you want to 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 put your, your thoughts in sequence so if you think okay but that day my friend came and took me out and i said ah oh, okay that's maggie maggie came she was from new zealand she came to visit me then i had another friend who came from switzerland she came to stay with me i mean at my house when i was in hospital 
and she would come and stay, spend some time with me in hospital just to support me. So it's like, I mean, I couldn't remember first then what, how it happened, but it's just like you throw things there and never worry how, but then gradually when you are doing the final, you know, book, you will say, okay, this chapter is like, I'll put it this way or put it this way, or somebody who is going to edit for you, because I think that's what happened. My daughter looked at my book and then my niece who did critical writing at Brown University, she did also, you know, helped me into saying, okay, mama, this one, I think should come like that and that. So they helped me recreate it. But otherwise I was just writing as it came. Thank you. Any other questions? Thank you so much for sharing your, joiner, your journey with us, Selena. Where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram. That is, sorry, I was trying to read. On Instagram, Selena Chesha. Or on LinkedIn, I'm still Selena Chesha. On Instagram is live, thrive, enjoy. That's my logo. So Facebook is Selena Chesha as well. Wonderful. But yeah, if you want to talk anything, just, I mean, just message me, then we can arrange a talk and I will just, you know, chat. I'm, I'm a chatterbox. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this, you can join us next time when we meet Bobby Clark, a financial guru and expert. Um, and he's going to be sharing with us his journey as a Black American and what he's learned throughout his life.